I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Owl Pellets, welcome back to another session. We are excited today. We have another Owl Pellets Roundtable. We're going to be talking about teaching tools and strategies, and we have a great group of experts, friends, colleagues, neighbors here with us today that are going to uh, help teach us all these great things. Uh, Colby, Kelly, Tim, Laura, thank you guys for being here with us today. We're going to let you guys start off by kind of introducing yourself. So Colby, why don't you get us started off? Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Colby Gregg. Uh, I am currently a third year PhD student at The Ohio State University. Yes, we're required to say the the. Um, so I apologize for that in advance. Um, I, uh, I have uh, worked here in the department for a few years, and I also serve as a teaching and research associate um, alongside the professors. Hi all, my name is Kelly Claflin. I'm also at The Ohio State University, but new, so getting used to saying that as well. Um, but my focus is on agri-science education. Um, and before being in Ohio, I spent some time in Virginia and Oregon and was a high school ag teacher in Wisconsin. So you say you spent some time. Was that like in prison or was that, <laughs> what was that? How'd that go? Well, you know, you can say what you can about grad school. It wasn't prison, but you <laughs> okay. know, I did some time learning <laughs> with books. So take it as you will. Okay. I'm just like, you did some time, whatever, go from there. Tim, save us on this one. Hello, I'm Tim Buttles, I'm faculty in agricultural education at the University of Wisconsin River Falls and proud to claim Kelly as one of our former students. I'm Laura Greenaw. I'm bringing us down south apparently with this group. Um, I'm currently an assistant professor in agricultural leadership at the University of Florida. Um, spent some time at Mississippi State prior to and uh, come to that by way of Texas where I taught some high school ag before doing my PhD. Fantastic. Great crew here. Thank you all for spending time with us today. So just to kind of get things going here, let's get started. Colby, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, the paper you and your team put together. Absolutely. So um, the spring of COVID-19, as we like to call it, before in teen, um, I was able to TA our FFA and SAE course. And within that course, uh, we implemented what we called cooperative discussion groups. So it combined elements of discussion, whole class discussion, along with cooperative learning groups. And so we focused on grouping our students together in order to really reflect on a little bit deeper on some of the philosophical topics that we had in our class. Um, because we've all been in groups that uh, have been broken up or where the conversations are difficult to start or they're awkward. And so we found that uh, our cooperative discussion groups, how we structured them were a really good way to Add, uh, add that structure and to give the students some guidance on how can they most, uh, most use their discussion time together. And we got a lot of really good results out of it from the students and, and I'm excited to share about it um, here today. Very cool, thanks for that. Looking forward to talking about discussion groups and how to make them uh, useful. We always talk about just throwing people into groups and wonder why they don't work real well when we're not real intentional about how we do those sort of things. So looking forward to that, that conversation. Uh, Kelly, why don't you talk a little bit about what you and Tim put together for us? Sure. So we, um, 
focus on the idea of specifications grading. Um, and so it's something that we've used in our college courses, but could apply to high school as well. Um, and really kind of focusing on how we can make our classes more equitable, um, provide less stress for students and for ourselves. So, so win, win, win. I like that. Win, all wins all around. Looking forward to learning more about that. All right, Laura, wrap us up here. What, what are we talking about here? I, I like this escape room thing. It scares me a little bit. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. First of all, Kelly, shout out for the office reference. I dig that. Um, so I said I teach ag leadership. This uh, project came out of the course that I teach on team leadership. One of the competencies that we work on in there is um, decision making, um, group decision making. So my wonderful TA had a great idea. Um, we were also in the spring of COVID. And so trying to um, uh, figure out some learning activities that we could do online um, when we couldn't do our face-to-face -face learning activities that we would traditionally do. And so, yeah, she came up with this idea of using escape rooms um, to facilitate uh, teams being able to practice group decision-making. Um, and we used two different types of experiences and did some comparisons um, between those. So it was, it was a lot of fun. So before we jump in on kind of some of the logistics of the strategies, I'd be interested, you know, for those who are listening going, I don't need no strategies. What are some of the things that you were thinking about as this was some, I mean, we could sort through a million and one resources. What brought you to this one? What was the need in your classroom that you said, this is something we got to try? Well, I can start us off with that one. Um, for ours, uh, really, discussion is awkward, <laughs> right? And, and especially when you're in classes where there is no particular right answer. You know what I mean? And so uh, when we work with case studies, when we work with those more open-ended questions, uh, we wanted to find a way that really focused in on how can we get these conversations started off quickly, organize them in a way that the students are really building off of each other in a very, very, I don't want to say convenient, but really convenient way where they're working there with the same groups, class after class, where the activities are different, the prompts are different, but they have that security of knowing who they're going to be working with. And so it allows them to jump into those activities and those discussions a lot quicker. I can follow. I'm, I am, am sad that my co-author couldn't be here, the lead author on this piece, because I mentioned it's my TA. Um, what I didn't say about this semester was that I was also on maternity leave. And so my challenge to my TA was to um, figure out something that she wanted to research in terms of implementing in the classroom. And so this was her pick. This was one of the classes that she taught, um, class sessions that she taught. And so it was a challenge for her to figure out what kind of a learning experience she could have for students um, that would have them practicing decision-making techniques. Um, and so it was, it was pretty cool. I was proud of her for coming up with the, the two different experiences and seeing what those were like for the students. Dr. Ruddles, I feel like you should take this one since I stole it from you. So I'm gonna let you go. Well, I think anybody who's taught and had to grade understands the frustration of grading from the teaching side and anyone who's been a student. So it's one that often pops up as a challenge. And I don't even remember for sure how the discussion came out at some point about options for it and stumbled across specifications grading and tried some things. We can talk about that later. And then as Kelly was asking for some resources as she moved into her position of how do I teach this, I'd sent it and said, well, by the way, this grading looks a little bit different and explained where it came from. So that kind of started things rolling with the two of us. So 
you, you had this problem you came up with a way to, 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 to fix it. So what'd you, what'd you all find out? What was it about these things that, that made it work? And if uh, you're talking to an ag teacher here that says, I want to do this thing, what, what would, what advice would you give them on how to set up each of those strategies that you worked with? Well, for us, um, we found a lot of success in starting off first day in our class, setting up the groups and setting those norms that after that first day, which we kind of considered syllabus day, um, really, we didn't have any questions after that. And so being able to just start from the get-go of saying, hey, here are your groups, here are the expectations for what this is going to look like, um, really did wonders down the line so that we didn't have to you know, really reorient students every time we wanted to do this. Um, one thing I will say is that all of our students really enjoyed the groups. Um, so we collected data through the form of reflection prompts, as well as a couple of interviews. And across all 27 of our students, they enjoyed it. They thought it was great. Um, they thought that because they had a small group, they felt a lot more comfortable in expressing their ideas and maybe, you know, some of those, some of those answers you might have to questions that, you know, somebody is going to be like, oh no, that's, that's wrong. Be, be quiet and sit down. They felt a lot more confident in those answers that maybe they wouldn't have spoken out in a whole class discussion, but they definitely spoke out in their smaller groups. And so being able to work off of each other and to have that voice really boosted our students' confidence. And that showed when it came into their drafts of their philosophy papers. So their teaching philosophy, as well as their youth development philosophy of how can we work off of each other and, and pull ideas from each other in order to implement these in our philosophies and in our future classrooms. And so those were, um, I, I'm not gonna lie, I already forgot the question, but I hope I, hope I answered it. No, I, I think that's great because I think so often we think we're going to put people in a group and we forget to tell them how to operate. We spend all our time on the administration of how to, how to do those sort of things. And I think that's the, the, the big takeaway I got from, from y'all's work is investing some time up front to saying, this is how groups are going to operate in this class. When I say go to groups, this is what you're going to do. And all of that administrative stuff is out of the way and you can actually focus on the content and do those sort of things. And so I think that's the real, the real thing we talk about here with our, our ag teachers. And, and again, you, you used them through the whole semester, right? But, and they, could, they, they, they don't have to do it forever. They could pick a length of time. But once you know how a group operates, you're not having to, to switch it up every single day. And we all know how much time we wasted trying to get our students into groups and who's going to do what and what task and yeah. I mean, we, we'd probably hate to try to figure out how many hours of instruction we lost trying to do that. And I think that this little piece here right here is, is so, so valuable. Absolutely. And, and kind of speaking on those tasks there, another important thing to note with these groups is that we started day one with four group tasks, one for each person in the group. So someone to lead the group, someone to really act as secretary, um, to, to write down everything. And then one person to take the secretary's notes and post it on our online discussion. So for pieces that we weren't able to get to in class. And then the fourth person was who is in charge of summarizing it and sharing out to the whole class when we came back together. Those roles 
were not necessarily specific to a person the entire semester because we rotated them once we got through a quarter of the semester. And so for us, that was three weeks for high school teachers. That would probably be five to six weeks, but they know for five weeks, this is their job. And then we switch and then they know exactly what their new job is. And so keeping it in that structure uh, really avoids all of that time that we lose in that administration piece of like, okay, get out a piece of paper. Who's going to write it down? Who's going to lead the discussion? Who's going to talk about it? We already have those pieces set out. And so that was a really big advantage of implementing, implementing these groups. That's excellent. Excellent. So uh, Kelly and Tim, tell us a little bit more about this grading. Cause I, I like it already. I always said my least favorite thing about teaching was grading. And so if this is going to be the, the Kelly and Tim, Brian never has to grade again session, right? Is that what this is going to tell me? That would be nice, isn't it? But, you know, can't say you'll never grade again, but you'll grade smarter. So part of this before um, we get into the kind of the nuts and bolts of it is that I think grading is something we just feel like we have to do, right? Like we have a grade book, we have the input grades, you get A, B, C, D, whatever. And some people change things up um, with specifications grading and a factor that we liked about it besides making our lives easier is that it addressed some issues with student anxiety, student mental health, um, things that are linked to grades and academics um, and in the world we're in right now, addressing student mental health as well as our own is really important. Um, it also removes some of some barriers that might be in place that we're not even aware of. So like if you're assigning homework and grading that, do all your students have the same type of space to do homework and the same type of resources like parents or siblings or internet um, to complete those tasks? Um, are you thinking about implicit biases of what you're getting turned in and having that reflected in your grades without you even realizing it? Um, or are you actually measuring the objectives? And so really thinking about what's satisfactory versus, you know, I think about the projects my students would create and you'd have the group that was all flashy and I was one of those students. Um, I'm aware of that. But, you know, you immediately go to that kind of assignment and they may not have gotten everything correct. And the poster next to them might be bare bones and met all of your guidelines. You know, are you grading those the same? Um, and so that's kind of what is the foundation of the specifications grading, but I'll let Dr. Buttles take it over from here. So the idea comes out of the higher ed world and there's a lot of information on it, but kind of in a nutshell, the idea is it's a collection of changes that's trying to make grading more meaningful to students and less stressful for those of us doing the grading. And part of how it does that is moves away from giving letter grades to individual assignments. And so rather than each assignment getting the letter grade, it moves it to either the number of assignments or the scope of the assignments students pick. And one of the focuses is on providing specific expectations ahead of time. So the specifications are what determine if each assignment is at the pass-fail level. And I think there's a number of parallels to standards-based grading that we're seeing across you know, middle school, high school level, that it's linked to the learning expectations, that it's clearly defining this is what I'm expecting. It's tied back to a course outcome, a program outcome, and also woven into this is the idea of second chances for students. And so if they don't meet it the first time, learning isn't over. It's a kind of growth mindset and a chance to 
figure out what they need to improve and submit again. I, I think this is, I mean, it's, I'll, I'll be honest, it's somewhat scary. I think for an ag teacher, if I was listening to this for the first time, you're like, you want me to do what? And, and how do I do this? And I, I got a structure with whatever. But when you get into this thing, I, I really get excited about it because I think there are so many applications to, I hate to use the word, real world and, and kind of what you talked about there. So if you're going to work, you know, you're talking to a teacher who's thinking about wanting to do this for the first time, what, what do you tell them how to, how to set this up and maybe where to start to, to dip their toes into this? Well, I didn't go full bore in right away. I took small steps and even for the courses we talked about in the poster hadn't gone completely this direction. And part of it was going from a full percentage scale to initially a four point. And then one of the schools in Wisconsin uses a three point. And so I shifted to that. And so instead of trying to find multiple categories, it was shifting things down to something that was easier to build rubrics that had those more concrete ideas of what's going to anchor these things down and trying to make it a little bit simpler to convince or convey to students what is it I was expecting them to do. I, I really, I really like that concept and that that uh, way of thinking. And one one of the strategies that I heard around the three point is even getting st- students to think about it from a like a stoplight. So uh, if you're on a three point scale, red, you don't got this. Don't don't move. Don't go forward. Don't pass go. If it's yellow, you're starting to gain these concepts and these competencies and tread lightly, but uh, continue to work on it or green go forward. So is that a strategy that you think would work in, in the in line with what you're talking about, Tim? Yep, that, that fits very well with one of the approaches I took in, as I was working on this grading journey. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, everything is overwhelming right now, or maybe that's just me. Um, but taking it, you know, looking at an assignment or maybe a unit, um, I think it's worked well um, for like end of course projects. So being very clear in like, it's not um, a very complex rubric, but it's very clear about what do I expect that you should know at the end of this course? Um, And those are the specifications. Also, you know, the feedback we got from students Um, I know my students in Virginia, um, they really liked it. It was clear. Um, You know, there are some points where it was like, what is this? Like, you know, I made sure to explain it at the beginning. Like, we're trying something new. Like, here's the reasons why we're trying it. Um, Because we, none of us like change either. Um, But in the end, it was very positive. And I think um, that's that's a good sign. If students are happy, we'll go for it. So I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit more about kind of the student experience. Again, you're going to have to kind of guess what you saw from them, but what was their, their reaction? What benefit did they receive by, by the process that you, that you guys did here? I feel like we're having a stare off, but I'll go. Um, I think one of the big things is the redos, um, like we mentioned before. So this idea that, um, you can go into an assignment and receive feedback. And that's a key point of specifications grading as well, is that instead of the instructor focusing on the nitty gritties of grading, you're focusing on the feedback and students being able to take that feedback and use it again um, and improve either that assignment or future assignments. Um, And so I used it in a program design class. So we were working on lesson plans and unit plans and for our students, that was something that was new and it was something that they hadn't had experience with. So 
when you're not great at something right away, oftentimes, which is one of the things that's wrong with traditional grading is you don't get to show that you know it. So we were giving students a chance to know it um, and take that feedback. And they got, felt like they were getting individual contact with the instructor. You know, they were getting specific feedback just for them. Um, and especially in a pandemic when we were not in class together, that was a big part of it, um, at least from my students' point of view. And I think the really cool thing about it in the assessment becomes part of the instruction then. It's not just assessing. They're actually, they're having to understand it. They actually hopefully gain depth of understanding and, and being able to assess their own work and, and kind of knowing where they are helps them make, do those redos to build upon it. So that's, that's, that's really, really cool. So let's talk about escape rooms. Just, just so you know, Mike Retallick and I have successfully managed an escape room. We, we, we were able to do it. So they, they do have escape rooms for beginners that, you know, it was like, how did they put you in a room and how you escaped was uh, turning the doorknob. That was the, that was the task. And we have the sticker to prove it. We do. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Well done, gentlemen, making me proud. <laughs> so um, like I said, we, Kel, uh, Kenzie identified two different um, experiences that were escape rooms. So one, um, you know, I think one of the things that bred this idea is um, the allure of virtual reality. We were working in a digital world. And so we thought, hey, let's give this a whirl. Um, and so she found uh, it's, it's actually called The Escape Game um, online. And it's, there's a small minimal fee for access to, they have several different versions of, of rooms. And so we um, bought three codes. So we had three different games that groups of students could go through. And it, the awkward part about that, that scenario was that we had, to, we had to log in. So I had two TAs and myself, we each had to log in. Um, the team, one member of the student team was given remote control of the game through whoever was facilitating. So there was a little bit of, of awkwardness there, but, but our students are very quick to pick those things up. And so that was fine. And then they had to navigate through that escape room, just as you and Mike did in, in person, right? You read the clues, you get the information, you have to go find the map or this or that. Um, and so they had to navigate through that um, as a group and making decisions and practicing what they may, what they learned about decision-making from the lesson that, that they received prior to. The other experience was a, a low-tech version of escape room. So it, it didn't have the fancy uh, virtual, you know, person walking or person talking. Um, it was, it, there are several um, games or scenarios that were done by a library, um, I think in Virginia, I, I need to double check that. Um, and in, in the abstract, we call it a virtual verbal processing. Um, because it wasn't a click a button here, or click a button there. It was a read this and answer the question. And, and then, and that's how they would progress through, through the experience. Um, I think the biggest takeaway uh, and what I would tell high school teachers is, uh, or any teacher for that matter, is that the shiny thing is not always the best thing. So while students had a lot of fun who were in that more immersive experience, um, the other group of students actually indicated that the, the experience was better and more on 
point with decision making and being able to practice decision making with that virtual verbal processing. So it, it, at least in our results, small sample size, whatever, but, you know, at least for our students, those students that went through the very basic um, game, as opposed to the big fancy one, uh, got more out of it in terms of the learning that we were trying to get get out of it um, for whatever reason. I, you know, sometimes those other parts can be distracting and we're so busy having fun that we're, we kind of forget the point. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's the biggest takeaway for me. Um, I like to try fun and, and shiny things and I've, I've done this in a couple of different, different ways. And um, yeah, that's, turns out sometimes the shiny thing isn't always the best thing. And that was my, that was going to be my big question is there, cause we can get, we can get, you know, teachers are the same way. We want to do this really fancy thing is, so how did you, when you're doing this, make sure that you actually had learning objectives in there and how did you make sure your students kind of, how did, how did you know that they learned what you wanted them to learn out of either option, the, the low tech one or the high tech one? Yeah, super great question. So we we taught the lesson on decision making prior to them doing the application learning lab, um, and then following the learning lab, they have a reflection report that they write, and there are prompts um, in the spirit of Kolb's experiential learning model. You know, we try to get them through that reflection component and and into that um, abstract conceptualization. How do I use this somewhere else? Um, and so we, we definitely saw the struggle between the two, right? The, the, the one group really gets caught up in the, the fanciness of the game and, and the steps of the game itself, while the other group really was able to, to pare down into the lesson and, and think about, hey, you know, we didn't, we didn't have time for consensus building because we were in this small, you know, speed is one of the things that we have to consider when we choose decision-making approaches. And so we had to do this or, so, so that's how, in terms of understanding what learning they got out of it, out of the application specifically, we have, we have them do reflective reports post-experience to connect that learning. What are some things as teachers are kind of hearing these different ideas, um, what pitfalls can you help them avoid? What's something that you found that you went, oh, should or shouldn't have done that? Wow, they're all perfect. They all did it right the first time. And that's why they were invited to come to Alpellas because they're the only four teachers absolutely right the first time. So glad someone finally. One, I was going through the roll of that. <laughs> Colby, what were you going to what, what do you have for us? I was going to say, I'm so glad someone finally recognized my teaching abilities. Um, but besides that, um, I will say that um, a couple of things that really hindered uh, uh, our use of the discussion groups was at the beginning, we didn't tell the students when they were going to be jumping into their discussion groups because oftentimes their friends who they wanted to sit with were not also the members of their group. And so we did have a lot of transition time there the first few times we used the groups. But after that, we started communicating with the students ahead of time of saying, today you're gonna get in your groups. So go ahead and sit with them, um, be, become friends with them so that you're still sitting with your friends. Um, another piece of it was 
just on making sure that we had activities that really were best used in the groups, um, particularly things like case studies, they, uh, other activities that really are a little more complex than just doing it solo or with a partner, but not items like just one simple question. Okay, how do you answer this? All right, well, these two groups are having a hot debate when the rest of the groups are they're done in five seconds and now they're bored. And so making sure that you have things built into that time so that we're not using or wasting any of that time for any of the students. I think it's a great thing that just because you have a group doesn't mean you got to use it. And I think sometimes we, you, that you have a great point there and I've done it myself. Okay, everybody discuss this question. Well, the answer is yes, now move on. I'm like, it, it was, you've, you've given them an individual task for a group to do and it causes more trouble than anything else. So I think that's, that's, that's a great tip. That's actually a wonderful segue into to kind of the pitfalls of, of our strategy. And that's, I mean, we're teaching team leadership. So one of the challenges of finding learning activities is to live by that rule, right? Have them engaging in activities that require a team. And that's not easy by any means. Um, and so Certainly, you know, this, this also isn't the first time that we tried this. We tried a much more advanced game in previous semesters, um, which was also more expensive. Um, and again, the students were so distracted by the content of the game itself that they were missing the connection to the learning that we were trying to get them to in the classroom. So I think, you know, if I were to, to say the pitfall to avoid is, is just what, you know, Dr. Myers asked me earlier is how do you get them to focus on the learning um, and that, that in particular is the important aspect of, of engaging in the activities that we used was making sure the students knew the purpose of that activity and what we were trying to get them to practice in the course of that activity and think about afterwards. I think for the specifications grading, um, again, like Laura said, the Rolodex, like there's lots of things I would change. I don't, but I don't have solutions for all of them yet. Um, but I think the biggest thing was not taking enough time to make sure that my specifications match my directions and what students were being presented with. Um, the nice thing was that there was redos and you could clarify and there wasn't all that pressure on like, well, I got 50%, like, oh my gosh, the world's ending. Um, it was, well, let's try this again, or, you know, you could adjust on a case-by-case -case basis because we had a class of, I don't know, I don't know how many students we had. It was less than 50, and there was a TA. It wasn't horrible. Um, it was a year ago, and I've already forgotten most of it, but um, just making sure that you're taking the time, and it doesn't take that much time. Like, it's something that a busy egg teacher, as, you know, we all all are um, can accomplish, but just being think through it um, and make sure that matches what students have learned and what you're asking them to do, um, as well as being listed on the specifications for grading. And I think that's great because that's what this is all about. It's about moving into these little steps you're talking about. It's trying to find ways to lighten your load, but be more effective. And again, you go to the specification, specification grading doesn't mean you got to do with all of your assignments and all of your courses at once. You build this thing, you modify this thing over time. You find ways to make this work. You're 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 picking strategies like um, the, these just cooperative discussion groups to actually make it more effective and make it easier on you from having to pick groups and do these things. 
and 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 I think the real tip there from Laura and everything else is trying to make sure that you're finding these things that that are really meeting your objectives, and they don't have to be super super shiny, but they can still be very cool and very effective and get your students in there. So. Y'all, thank you so very much. This has been a great discussion. I've got a, a list of things and, and teaching tips and tools, how I'm going to try to use these things. I know those that are listening uh, did the same. Uh, I hope everybody interacts and engages on social media and shares resources like this and where you've done the, these types of tips and found them to be, be very successful. Um, Colby, Tim, Kelly, Laura, thank you guys so very much for being with us here today on Owl Pellets. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.